Okay. Okay. Good. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you may be. Um, to those joining us live, thank you very much. A lot of new faces. It's good to see you all. Um, to those listening and watching the recordings, we obviously appreciate that as well. Um, just one quick announcement before I introduce today's very special speaker. Um, we have a, a trailer video that's just come out, which is announcing the curriculum for, for next term starting in August, September. Um, so we're very excited for that. Definitely join, check out our website if you're new. Um, and really welcome to this two-part series uh, where we're going to be hosting together with, uh, with the Spanish and Portuguese community in the United Kingdom, who we are the Khabura, very proud to be involved with and partner with uh, a community with its own long and distinguished history. Um, and as you all know, the Khabura has several goals, and one of them is to raise awareness of, of the Sephardi tradition. And obviously it's manifested differently across the Sephardic diaspora. Um, and, and now we want to learn, you know, how it evolved, how, how it has fared over time. And um, so, you know, we believe obviously history matters and um, to preserve the legacies, but also we think it's important to, we do a lot of textual learning and to understand the context. Sometimes, you know, you have to understand the environment of when and where, things were said and written, the Teshuvot, and obviously Turkey, as I'm sure we're going to hear, has, has a very long history of, of, um, of Jewish scholarship, and um, today that's what we'll be concentrating on Turkey. Um, in I think it's next week or in a week and a half, um, we'll be hearing from Dr. Pa Eliezer Papo, who will be focusing more on the Balkans and other Ladino area speaking, uh, Ladino-speaking areas. Um, but today we have the honor to be hosting Rav Naftali Haleva, who is a rabbi in Istanbul, um, active, very active in communal affairs. Um, and I'll just read a, a quick bio. Um, Rabbi Nafia Leva was born and grew up in Istanbul before attending Yeshiva University, where he achieved his diploma and received his rabbinic ordination from Rietz. Uh, after eight years in New York, uh, he spent a year in Israel training to be a counselor and then returned to Turkey. So after nine years of education, he is currently the rabbi in the Ortakoy Etza Hayim Synagogue in Istanbul. Uh, he's a member of the Spiritual Council of the Turkish Rabbinate and is a teacher in, in religious studies in the Ulus uh, Jewish schools and educator in Tamu Torah. And he has composed a book on the ethics of Judaism in Turkish. Uh, Rabbi, it's a, a zechut. I don't want to take more of your time. Thank you so much for joining us at this late hour. Um, Bechavod, all yours. Thank you very much. Good morning, good evening, whatever you are. Uh, I'm following the Khabura for a couple, for two years almost. And you're doing a great job to bring the Sephardic heritage to everyone to learn because it's very important and that everyone should learn the heritage and the riches of the Sephardic Rabbanim. And this is why it's my honor to be with you. Uh, I'm going to try to give some uh, summaries about the Turkish Jewish history. As you mentioned, it's very long, like the Jewish history, once you said Jewish history. So trying to give like a, the virtual tour of the Turkish Jewry uh, Istanbul, Turkey, past and present, structure of the life and challenge and strengths. But before that, we're going to talk about the Turkish Jewish community. It's very important, like, you know, what does it mean, Sephardat? Maybe Sephardat is the Hebrew name of Spain, but it's a little known fact the word Sephardat is found in the prophet of Adia, applied to region around Sardis, where the Jewish exiles from deported after the capture of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. 
And this name was later applied to Spain and are called Sephardim. The Jews expelled from Spain in 1492 and later from Portugal in 1496. The reason I, I started with this Sardis, because there is a synagogue in Sardis in third century, as you see the picture, and Jews were present in Hellenic, Hellenic times, in the time of uh, the land of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov. As you see, this is a picture of the synagogue in Sardis from the third century. You can see other pictures. So this is why when uh, the prophet of Adia talks about Sardis, so we're talking about Turkey, which is the, near Izmir. The ancient synagogue runes have been found in Sardis in, near, in Izmir, dating from 200 220 BC, and trace other Jewish settlements have been discovered near Bursa, at the south of East, along the ancient Mediterranean and Black Sea, the coast. Uh, before that, we're going to mention about the Turkish Jewish history. There's, in, there's some important uh, points we have to review about the Ottoman Empire. When the Ottomans conquered Bursa in 1324, declared Bursa their capital, and they find a Jewish community oppressed under the Byzantine rule. And the Jews welcomed the Ottomans as the savers. Sultan Orham gave the permission to build a synagogue, the same synagogue named that I'm rabbi, which is in Bursa, Etzachayim, Tree of Life. And this has been serviced until 1951, when it, when, it, when it burned down. By the way, Bursa, Today, there are about, about 45 people left in Bursa, and my wife happened to be, she's from Bursa. Early in the 14th century, the Ottomans had established their capital in Edirne. Edirne is also an important city, which we're going to see soon what happened in Edirne. And many Jews from Europe, including Karite Jews, they emigrate to Edirne. Jews explained from Hungary, in 1376, fled to the Ottoman Empire. In September uh, 1394, Sultan Bayezid I welcomed in Edirne the Jews expelled from France by Charles VI. Jews expelled from Sicily early in the 15th century and settled in Dubrovnik, which is in Ottoman Empire. And in 1420, Salonika was purchased by the, uh, by the Vatians and the Jews basically also settled to also Ottoman Empire. This is number seven, which is important. In 1454, Rabbi Yitzhak Sarfati from Edirne sent a letter to the Jewish community in Europe and saying that they should come to Turkey. This is basically the letter of Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, of Rabbi Yitzhak Sarfati in English. I'm not, I'm not going to write, I'm not going to read the entire letter, but this letter is basically is saying that those people living in Europe in difficult times, they can able to come to Turkey. When Mehmet the Conqueror booked Byzantine in, 50, in 1453, he encountered an oppressed Romanite Jews community, which welcomed him with enthusiasm. The last chief rabbi of Byzantine, Rabbi Moshe Kapsali, was appointed the first leader of Ottoman Jews. Sultan Mehmet the Conqueror issued a proclamation all the Jews that should come to Turkey, which is nice words. I'm not going to you know, mention all the things that he said. This is the letter I just mentioned. 1470, 
The Jews expand from Bavaria and refugee in the also in Ottoman Empire. 1492, Sultan Bayezid II, learning about the explosion from the Jews from Spain, and ordered his governors not to refuse the Jews' entry and cause them difficulties, but to receive them cordially. 1537, also after Apollo fell under papal control, Jews fled to the Ottoman Empire. 1540, following the blood libel, which is important, and this was the Christian against the Jews in Amasya, which is a city in Turkey, Suleiman the Magnificent issued an official decree prohibiting officials and judges from the hearing such as case, such cases and required that they, they be brought to the, his imperial council for justice. Many Jews for explained from Bohemia by the King Ferdinand in 1542 found refugee in Turkey. 50, uh, 1556, Sultan Bayezid, Sultan the Magnificent, uh, wrote to Pope uh, Paul IV asking the immediate release uh, the Anconum Mar Maranos, whom he declared Ottoman citizen, and the Pope had to comply. On October, which is important, 1840, following the blood libel acquisition, which is the famous case, Damascus case, and there's a letter in English, and there's in Turkish too, and this is translation from Ottoman language, which is basically imperial decree is saying that anyone accusing blood libel to the Jews, he's guilty. This is very important decree. In 1840, Russian Jews also fled from the pogroms and the refugee, they basically came to Turkey. Uh, In 1993, now we can come to Turkey, Ataturk invited the prominent German Jewish professors to flee Nazi Germany, settle in Turkey, and they can contribute a great deal to the development of the Turkish university system. During the World War II, Turkey served as a safe passage for many Jews. Basically, they can flee from the horrors of the Nazis. In countries occupied by the German Turkish diplomats did their best in order to save the Jews from the Holocaust. And there is a one, but there's a lot of names I can mention diplomats. And the Salatin Urkuman, which is Consul General of Rhodos, 1943 in 1944, he was recognized by the Yad Vashem as a religious Gentile, Hasid Umat Olam, in June 1990. And also the last and least, Turkey has been always refugee or passage for the Jews fleeing Iran, Syria, and Iraq. So this is very important points that about history, how the Ottoman Empire and to Turkey Jewish history, they help to the Jewish people in diaspora. They can basically come all the way to Turkey. They have, you know, they can live and save their, their own life. And now also, as I mentioned, 1492, it's in Sultan Bezid, there's an important statement that he says, the Catholic monarch Ferdinand was wrongly considered as wise since he impoverished his country with the expulsion of the Jews and enriched ours. So this is basically Sultan Bayezid said uh, when the, you know, the expulsion from the Spain.
And this is basically today, uh, the Turkish in Turkey. Uh, I remember when I was a child, we used to say, how many Jews live in Turkey? We said 18,000, 20,000. But unfortunately today, the population estimate in Turkey is about 16,500 people. Most of the people is basically lives in Istanbul, which is about 15,000. And in Çanakkale, only two people left. In Izmir, which is the second population after Istanbul, there's about 1,000 people left. Adana, I think the number is not anymore 15, I think it's about 10. Ankara, and this is like, it says 30, but it's not anymore. Antakya, I didn't put any number because in Antakya, as you know, that two, three, three months ago was earthquake. In Antakya, there were 12 Jews. And unfortunately, and all the 12 Jews after Antakya, the earthquake, and all of them, they came to Turkey, to Istanbul. And they live right now in Istanbul. Uh, I think three of them, if once the Antakya synagogue is going to rebuild, which is we think about they're going to uh, rebuild again, even there's no Turkish Jewish community there, but it's a history. Uh, three of them, they want to go back to Antakya once that the, the synagogue is going to rebuild. In Kıklareli, there are three people. In Edirne, only one people left. Once that this, uh, I just want to mention two important rabbi, one in Izmir, one is going to be in Istanbul. In Izmir, the famous rabbi called, there are a lot of rabbanim in Izmir. I mean, it was a huge history about Izmir, yeshivot, all the books that's been written, you know, in Izmir, all the uh, Agadot, hundreds, hundreds, Allah and Agadah books has been replicated in Izmir. As you know, Izmir also important in 17th century, the famous false Mashiach, false Mashiach Sabitai Svi, he lives in Izmir. So there is a history we can talk about, about Sabitai Svi. So I just want to mention about Rabbi Chaim Palachi, which is 1849, 1849. He was appointed uh, to be a member of Din, together with Din, which is very important names, uh, Rabbi Yosha Shlomo Arditi, this is a very famous Rabbanim. Rabbi Chaim Binyamin Potromilo, Rachamim Nisim Yehuda de Sigura, Nisim Chaim Moshe Modei, and 45 other rabbis, basically they run entire community. Could you imagine 45 other rabbis? Right now we're talking about only 1,000 people left in Izmir. Of course, Rabbi Chaim Palaj is very famous, and hundreds, hundreds of questions is asking from Damascus, from Galicia, from Tunisia, from Bucharest, about Alakha. So he's very famous about Rabbi Chaim Palachi, all this, and also in the same time, through the letters that we know, some important Ashkenazic religious leaders, such as Rabbi Yaakov Meir, Rabbi Mordechai Zev Etzengev, Rabbi Svi Hirsch. With, you know, basically, they also he was corresponding with them and through his letters. Uh, also, Rabbi Chaim Palachi was very successful, and this success was heard all over the entire Ottoman Empire. In 1858, he was awarded with the medal by Sultan Abdul Majid. At the same time, he was given by the Sultan the rights of the justification and the right to the judge according to both Ottoman Empire and the Jewish religion. Also, later on, 
He was awarded by the second time, by second medal, again by Sultan, different by Sultan Abdul Majid. A very, very interesting Rabbi Chaim Palachi, he wants to build a Jewish hospital. So he needs some donation. So he looks to whom to ask. So in the beginning, he asked from Baron Rothschild. So he was basically, in the beginning, was a negative reply. But as you know, Rabbi never give up. He continued to ask, you know, and was, he was contacted by Baron Rothschild. And also he received very, very necessary support by the hospital. Also, he received the support from the Sir Moses Montefiore. With their contribution, they were able to open the Jewish hospital in Izmir. Also, there are a lot of things we can talk about Rabbi Palachi, but I just want to give small, like important uh, points. Rabbi Palachi also, once this earthquake came out three, three months ago, it just 55 pages booklet came out uh, about earthquake. Because Izmir is a city, uh, a lot of earthquake going on. Any Jews live in Izmir today, still in Izmir. I mean, once every three months, once every four months, there's earthquake going on in Izmir. So since the earthquake is so much happened in Izmir, so the Rabbi Palachi created a tikkun, like 45 pages, what to read, what to read, what kind of alakhag you should have to read it, everything, just for the earthquake, during the earthquake time, uh, what you can able to become is a Jewish religious according to the way. So, about, uh, so besides that, there's a following story told about Rabbi Chaim Palachi. There was a, it was a man who was, a, it was about almost a die. He was all about to die. And his family came to Rabbi Palachi for his blessing and for prayers. As soon as Rabbi Chalam Palachi heard about his illness, he went to his home. A few minutes later, he asked to the patient if he if was Bechor or not. And after positive reply, he asked if he had the proper pidyon or not. And once that the person said, I don't remember, I think I do not have the pidyon, everything. So Rabbi Chalam Palachi did his pidyon, the pidyon aban. He read certain blessing, and that person lived another 30 years more, late, more later on his sickness. So Rabbi Khalim Palachi, there are a lot of story about this, you know, a lot of people that have a sickness person, a problem and everything. They used to go to Chaim Palachi basically to get a blessing. Rabbi Chaim Palachi was very sensitive for the events happened uh, 1840. If you remember in the beginning of my speech, I mentioned the Damascus case. It was a there was a decree. So Rabbi Chaim Palachi also trying to help those uh, blood libels, those people that was affected. He called the support for his Egyptian friend, Don Avram, Avram Commando and Baron Rothschild and Sir, uh, Sir Moses Montefiore that should help for this blood libel in 1840. On his return to Israel, uh, Montefiore stopped by Izmir and he was basically reinforced his friendship with Palachi. Montefiore contributed a great amount of donation for the Jewish organization in Israel. Upon this, Rabbi Palachi wrote a book in the name of the Montefiore and his wife, besides for the Queen of England. He wrote a book in Ladino, 
called Yimsa Chaim. This book praised the queen's efforts when she prevented the death of the Jews in Damascus. On this, on this feast, the queen was compared to Pharaoh's daughter who rescues Moshe Rabbeinu. So this is the book that I just mentioned, Yimsa Chaim, is written in Ladino. Also, and he, of course, all the rabbis, as you know, there's a, some disagreement within the board, within the community, and Rabbi Chaim Palachi had the same problem. And I don't want to get too much details, it was tax collection, it was a disagreement, and the, the basically the board asked from the Rabbi Chaim Palachi, without consulting the board, he should not sign any decision, which Rabbi Palachi signed it without asking, and he was the disagreement. And basically, uh, through that, through this problem, they want to remove him from the rabbinate. And like all the rabbis has a problem, Rabbi Chaim Palachi has the same problem. Could you imagine Rabbi Chaim Palachi? And meanwhile, Baron Rothschild advised him not to worry. If he wished, he would be glad to offer his position in London Grand Rabbinate. Uh, of course, Rabbi Palachi did not accept that. He wanted to stay in Izmir, continue his life in Izmir. Then later on, there's as the story says, they want to remove and like, you know, they want to get also approved a report signed by the 60 people. In the end, Rabbi Chaim Palachi was very sad about the situation. He shot himself into a synagogue. He, he opened the Echala Kodesh. He got two candles in his hand. He turned the candles upside down and began to pray. And that moment was very strong earthquake. And basically, the people were very like, uh, like shocked. And they apologized from Palachi, from Chaim Palachi. And they said, you know, opponents, it's open of, of also his opponents wishes that he should be chief rabbi again, continue his job. This is the story basically about Rabbi Chaim Palachi happened with basically in the community itself. Rabbi Chaim Palachi wrote 70 books. Having so many books, all of the books is basically named Chaim. There is a Chaim, you know, there's a question whether it was because his name was Chaim Palachi or because of connection to the life. 72 books, but there's a something disaster happened. It was a big fire. Many Jewish houses, including Rabbi Chaim Palachi's house, was burned. And at, at, at that night, while people were asleep, the fire spread all around the Jewish district. And unfortunately, there was nobody knew what to do. One of his students, he knows that was in cellar of Rabbi Chaim Palachi, all of his books, and put his life in danger. He got into, into the fire, tried to save one of the boxes that was filled with his books. Only 14 books was saved. Rabbi Chaim Palachi, of course, could you imagine 72 books, only 14 left, and the rest of the books was basically gone. And Rabbi Chaim Palachi was basically, uh, he stayed in the bed, you know, between death and life. His son, Avraham, did not live from his bedside. And he put in writing his wording of his father, 
After his recovery, his son showed the notes that passed orally from his father, orally all his books in his sickbed. Basically, all his book managed put into writing by his son. Could you imagine? Ordinarily, he just remember all the I mean, fourteen all, 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 uh, the fourteen books already went safe. The rest, or basically, orally was giving the note to his son, and his son basically wrote entire books. In this way, many book born books became alive. All those books I, I just mentioned, like you know, basically Chaim. The famous books today you can able to see Avin Nachal, Aratzot Chaim, Lev Chaim, Ruach Chaim, Refuah Chaim, Sefer Chaim, Torah Chaim, Simcha Chaim, Kafa Chaim, Darke Chaim, Chaim Mazon, Chaim Shalom, Kol Chaim, Lechaim Berushalayim, Teshuvah Min Chaim. So this is the famous book today you can able to find about those books about Rabbi Chaim Palachi, and the last and least when he died. Rabbi Palachi, when he was putting in a cemetery, there's a story told when he's basically his uh, buried time, it was a nearby font, a water fountain was flush and nobody is like a miracle. So today, this is water, the, the water, water fountain is being used as a mikveh by the Jewish community next to the cemetery of Rabbi Chaim Palachi. So this is why this this is basically the story of Rabbi Chaim Palachi, which is very important. There are a lot of things that we can learn from Mikhail Palachi. I just want to mention one rabbi from Istanbul, which is 1940, between 1940 and 1960, He did not write a lot of books, but there's a two important things we can able to mention. Uh, rabbi Chaim Palachi was the chief rabbi between 1940 and 1960. He was basically uh, 1923. He published his religious religious response under the name of Kedushin Tnai Kedushin. The reason that he wrote about this book on that time, a lot of male they used to go like different countries. So it was a, like those people they were not, they were not coming back to to Turkey. There was a problem of Agunot. So this is why he, he wrote about Kedushin Al Tnai. I'm not going to mention all the details, but it was basically important booklet uh, about trying to uh, basically find a solution for the marriage and divorce problems. And the last very important things, basically, Mishpet, uh, there's a writing letter between Mishpete Uziel, Siman Yudhet, which is Haribi Rafael Saban, uh, is, was basically wrote a letter to Rabbi Uziel, as we know, Rabbi Uziel is the chief rabbi, the problem of the mixed marriage. He says, those people mixed marriage through, they did not behave according to Torah, practice a mitzvah, that doesn't mean they are against the Torah and want to, they want to move away from our Torah, from our community. Those people, they want their sons observing Torah in Judaism. We, should, we have to do something about them. They're not, they're not lost case because they want to be part of our Jewish community. This is why he wrote, basically, he says, those non-Jewish mother, they want to make Brit Milah according to Allah. 
So he mentioned they should be uh, do the Brit Villa. Could you imagine non-Jewish mother? And this is basically the letter uh, between Mish you can find out more details about Mishpati Uzehel in Siman Yutret, which is talk about the problem of the mixed marriage and the non-Jewish mother, Zera Israel, and those kind of things. You can find basically Haribi Levi Saban writing with basically with, with Rav Uziel. We can go further, but today there is a today there is a, in our Turkish Jewish community four percentage of Ashkenazim, ninety six percent is Sephardim, where basically dominate uh, about the Sephardim uh, in our country, and even the small numbers that were represented in different different professions such as there are a lot of journalists, uh, doctors, lawyers. And I'm talking about in a, in a, in a non-person in Turkey, even that we are 16,500 people in Turkey. And this is the basically the age group. Unfortunately, uh, today the youngsters are moving to Europe. As we know, most of the Jewish people, they have a Sephardic, uh, they have a Spanish passport, or Portugal possible because the because the Spanish government they gave them opportunity. This is why most of the youngsters they moving to Europe, such as Amsterdam, London, whatever you mentioned. And between these five years, a lot of young students they move to Europe. And I don't know what's going to be in the in the future, but this is basically the distribution of the age groups. Uh, and maybe in five and ten years that the youngsters, once they move go, going to Europe, I don't know what's going to happen for our Turkish Jewish community. And there is this structure is very like unique. Uh, we don't have a congregation life like you have in the United States or you in London. Like we have model, like we have the chief rabbi. All the basically Jewish community is under umbrella of the chief rabbinate. As you see, there's a chief rabbi, there's a beddin, the president on the next side, a board of councillors, executive board, and the council of representatives. But all of them is basically in one umbrella, entire Jewish community in one unique uh, structure. And we don't have colors. We have Sephardim. We, we don't have like, you know, when, when the people come to Turkey, they said, how many Jews there are in Turkey? How many religious Jews? So we don't mention religious because we are only Jews. There's no conservative reform, orthodox, all the titles that you name it, we don't have it. We have basically Jewish community, which is unique. And one other thing which I can be proud of my Jewish community today, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but I can tell you about 700 or 800 volunteer people are volunteer work in the Jewish community such as in Jewish hospital, on old age home, in, in the school. You know, we don't have professional president, we don't have professionals, people that, you know, they're uh, going to work in the, in the Jewish community itself. All of them is volunteer. So this is why it's not easy to find 800 people are volunteer working within the Jewish community in hospital, in old age home, in the school. I think this is very important and unique for the Jewish community in Turkey. Of course, we have all the institution, youth family clubs, synagogue foundations, social sport association, Jewish school education press, 
activities living in Turkey. Youth family clubs, as you know, Turkey divided to Istanbul, Europe and Asia. So we have those uh, like in the same time, you can go to Europe. Also in the same time, you can go to Asia. There's a bridge, as you know, Dasvaras Bridge. So we have both place where the Jewish people lives in Asian side and also in Europe side. So we have one club, youth club in Asian side for people lives in the Asian side. Of course, we have also activities going on in Europe coast. So for the, our youngster, youngsters, this is some of the picture of the youngsters. Uh, we have like a, lo a lot of activities going on. We did like we have a, a sport games and everything, whatever you name. We have 19 synagogues. Of course, none of them, all of them not active uh, every day. Only three synagogues are active every day. It's basically like, you know, my synagogue that I'm rabbi, we have only daily, we, have, do, we do have a daily service, like morning Shachrit Michai Narvit, and also in Shishli and Ashkenazi also synagogue. Also in Asian side, there's one synagogue, it's open every day. This is basically some of the pictures. Akhrida synagogue, as you see the Teva, is the shape of the Noah Ark. Because this is one of the first synagogue was built uh, when the explosion from the Spain is over 500 years old. So this is why, like, you know, like Noah, you know, like a boat, like we came all the way from Spain. So this is why the Akhrida synagogue is like one of the oldest synagogue in Turkey. This is basically, today we don't have the like, you know, Jewish ghetto, like the Jewish family lives in one quarter that we once used to be. This is basically the areas that most of the Jewish people lives, as you see, like very close by to each other. And all of the places that, you know, the Jews lives. Uh, this is basically the map, the synagogue locations. Of course, like all the Jewish community, we have Shochtim, Moalim, Azanim, Hevra uh, Kadisha, Kosher Catherine Mikveh, and six kosher butchers. And of course, kosher cheese and wine, whatever you need it for Dennett is basically our kosher department, basically that provides all the uh, really, uh, kosher things that you need. Social support association is very important. We have a Jewish hospital called Orachayim. Basically, Orachayim is like, uh, is like, as you see, uh, total capacity 70 people like whatever whatever you needed for like uh, for the hospital this is basically our Jewish hospital also is very nice location is next to the seaside so it's very close to the Balat because Balat as I mentioned like 500 years ago because most of the Jewish people whenever they move they they find the seaside like you know Jews like they like the sea and everything so most of the Jewish people whenever they came settled down and like Ortake also seaside like next next to the seaside Kuskunjuk next to the seaside Balat is next to the seaside so basically most of the Jewish people when they settle they find the places next to the seaside it's of course under the organization of the Orachayim hospital is basically uh, that all the needy community patients is being can able to treat uh, Orachayim hospital or other hospitals all the Jews that need it, they can go to any hospital. Of course, like like every Jewish community, we have old age home. 
social assistant institution old age home with 70 bed capacity home and strong strong you know as i mentioned volunteer you know all the ladies work in you know, in old age homes are volunteer of course we have professionals like a nurse and everything but basically the ladies work you know in a volunteer base there's a so nice i mean couple of years ago if i was going to give the presentation i was going to tell you we have two old age homes but as i mentioned the jewish community today the number wise is going small and small and two old age home is not easy to support them so it was in one place 40 the other one's 35 the jewish committee decided that one uh, old age home should be combined to all the old people to be in one building in one uh, campus so this is basically finance wise that we can have earn a lot of money. The other one today is being rent, rent. But the question is, like the Jews, which one, which one will going to move to the other one? This took decision for three years. Okay, three years, and which one is going to close? You know, because the board, the volunteers, and everything, like you know, the Jews has the same problems. Three years later, they decided we we brought all the psychologists, everyone, and like which one is better. Like which one can improve more? We can have much more development. You know, there's a more land and so on. So this is why that uh, they move to uh, one of the ten. But once they move, they change the name. They said today is one new one. We don't want the old name. So this is why Orion is a new one. Before that was not Orion, was a different name. So they said this is it has to be new campus like and the name is being changed to orion this is basically old age home like the building and everything Matamba Seter is yacht is basically food packages clothing monthly allowance medical sport kosher catering scholarship for needed students i'm not going to like this is basically what the yacht does is basically total number of recipients 500 501 people which is 200 uh, 302 families needy people is been giving basically medical treatment food packages and uh, basically meals for over shabbat meals hot warm meals for holidays whatever you need basically all they needed for the jewish community but the numbers unfortunately is very high 300 uh, almost 300 families which is very huge number uh, for the small Jewish community, such as 6,000 people, 300 families, is not so small number. This is basically a scholarship, all the other things that program the service given by Yat, uh, basically uh, all the scholarship, like also students, 54 students receiving scholarship for higher education in University of Turkey, Israel and other countries. Of course, important the Jewish school. Today, we have about 530 students in our Jewish school. I think it's about 45 percentage, almost 50, 50 percentage of the uh, Jewish population are sending their kids to Jewish school. And some of them, they like to send their kids to private high school, such as American high school, French high school, British high school, those kind of high school that they, they do have it. They want like, you know, their kids, they should have different, whatever they, their own mind, send it to private high school. 
basically Turkish, English, Hebrew as well. There's a modern curriculum. It's very successful uh, high school. Uh, most of the kids that go to the university, the best universities, and to Europe, as I mentioned, the Jewish school is very, very successful. And in all, all the field, like, you know, uh, in physics, chemistry, and everything, and there's one interesting thing I can mention, the high school, uh, the uh, language in our Jewish high school is in English. So basically, uh, the physics, the chemistry, the math, everything, is in, in English uh, curriculum. So basically someone that's graduated from high school, from the Jewish high school, is well known, well language in English. So it's much easier to go to Europe and so on. So this is why that we, we have a very successful university entrance in the result. And we're just trying to invest in for our future. This is some of like the school as a community center trying to make all the activities going on for the Jewish school, for the Jewish uh, community. We have, of course, Talmud Torah, Bar Mitzvah, Bar Mitzvah School, pre-marriage education, Hebrew group for all ages, Torah discussion, of course, group for adults, cultural education activities for all ages group, Bar Mitzvah and Bar Mitzvah ceremony. Uh, we're trying to create a new projects. Of course, the press. Today, as you know, Ladino. Twenty-three years ago. I grew up in Ladino speaking like sermons. Uh, and, and also today, as I mentioned today, the young generation, they don't speak well Ladino. Uh, we have a weekly newspaper with one page in Ladino. Elamenacer, uh, monthly Ladino supplements. And also Sephardic Center that we have a lot of trying to bring back our Ladino culture. And of course, run by, by professionals, of course, also volunteers together that in the Shalom. Today, we have only one newspaper. It's called Shalom. And once a week, it's come out and one page in Ladino. There is a Museum of Turkish Jewish Community. It's very, very uh, good museum that you can able to see entire information about Turkish Jewish Community. We have a European Day of the Jewish culture that you have in London, uh, second week of November. And this is started a couple of years ago. It's very successful uh, because we want that the non-Jewish people should know more about Jewish, uh, Jewish culture and Jewish people uh, in order that uh, we know that once they know that maybe the anti-Semitism and those kind of things, they can be uh, reduced. So this is why that we have a very... Uh, a lot of activists going on European Day Jewish culture. This is one of the pictures in the streets. It was in Galata, which is once upon a time was a Jewish quarter. As you see, over 1,000 people, they came, non-Jews, came to listen Ladino and the concert. This is basically some of the activities from European Day to from the Jewish culture. 
This is very important. The first time in history in a Muslim country is celebration is basically in Orteke, in my area that I'm rabbi. That was the first. With the municipality of Besiktas as lighting the Hanukkah candle. And that day over 1,000 or more people was joined for Hanukkah candle lighting in a street like Europe. This is 2000, it's continue, 2018. Some picture, municipality of Shishti, different area. Then Kadike, 2020. 2021 in municipality of Fatih Meolo. Basically, different area is being that all the municipality they want the Hanukkah light and candle should be in their area. So this is why this is very important for us. Different area and different place to light the Hanukkah candle, public Hanukkah candles, which is important. This is two, two, uh, last year, actually two years ago. Uh, last year, sorry. Limut. This is also something that you're familiar. Based on the Limut United Kingdom model, first time in 2005, more than 1,100 people participate every year. Of course, we don't have the same London like one week, one, one day. It's basically a day-long festival, learning, socializing, and of course, milestone in building our future. This is important. March 26, 2015. If you remember in my first speech, I talked about a lot, a lot Edirne. Edirne is a city once upon a time that uh, like a lot of Sephardic melody, Makam, like, you know, Sephardic, uh, uh, all the Makam come from Edirne. Unfortunately, today, only one Jewish person left in Edirne. It was a huge synagogue. I think this is the third size uh, synagogue in Europe. The first in Budapest, the second one, I don't know where, but this is the third, third size. I don't know what is the second one. Uh, they said this is the second biggest uh, synagogue in Europe. And unfortunately, since the Jewish people left there, that the building of the synagogue was closed. But later on, Great Edirne Synagogue was rebuilt uh, by the government, by the Turkish government, and this is a, a as you see, as a new. And you will see the picture of the Edirne right now. Over 2,000 people basically came for reopening ceremony of the Great Edirne Synagogue with the vice president of the Turkish government. A lot of ministers came for the great opening of uh, Edirne Synagogue. And of course, they didn't, since there's no Jewish community there, we're trying to make like all the concerts, try to organize the concert in Great Edirne Synagogue uh, together with the director of foundation. This is basically social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, like you can get a lot of information about Turkish Jewish community. I didn't put here one last, the last thing that I, I forgot, March of Living. Of course, we have a March of Living that we're trying to our Jewish community to school should go to learn Holocaust for Holocaust education. So we, we, we're trying to be part of the March of Living. So as you see, the Jewish community is 16,500 people, but all the project, all the things that, you know, in Europe, that whatever you know, we're trying to bring for, for and invest our future. 
This is not in the picture didn't come out nicely. This is basically with Kapsali. If you remember, I mentioned the Kapsali. This is the old chief rabbi, basically that Chacham Bashi, that with the dates and came out. Today happened to be my father is the chief rabbi of Turkey, and uh, from since 2003, uh, many years, uh, many years more that you'd be part of the our Jewish community work. Uh, this is basically that's the history of our Jewish community, the structure of the Jewish community. I hope that uh, you enjoy it. And more than welcome for the uh, question that people want to ask. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Uh, fascinating. And uh, thank you for sharing the presentation. And uh, it was very, very informative. I think maybe some members might want to go live there now, I think. Um, but definitely, definitely to, to visit. Um, and maybe we can get in touch with you. And um, I, I had one one question because you just mentioned your father was the is, is your father's the Chacham Bashi there, and I saw a video um, of him once saying about how how like important Ladino is um, and how the youth are not are not um, you know they don't longer use it. Um, uh, maybe we, I think they shared it around on the Chabura, and it, I think it's translated into English. Maybe we can share it again. But I just wanted to know your opinion on. On, do you think it's how like how important do you think it is to preserve it and um, or is it wasted energy? Is is it maybe we should be prioritizing something else? Um, and more generally, if if it isn't the priority, what what is the I guess the most important thing to keep the the youth engaged? And you know what is the challenge they're facing? And, and um, I just want to hear your ideas on that. Okay, the Latinos, go, of course, I mean, I don't think so. This is like as a speaking language is so important. Of course, Latino, once you speak Latino, I can go to any Spanish country. I can speak easily. Uh, but I think this is not the base important things that, as far as my opinion. Of course, the songs and everything like in the synagogue is like nostalgia is important. Are still we continue and Keloeno, like in old Roshana Kippur, we mentioned about a lot of Latino. I think the the challenge is the woman, is the ladies. Because I remember, she, I, 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 I believe, once I came to Turkey, like as a rabbi, uh, in the women's section, it was like only four or five ladies. Then in Saturday morning, I said the first, what, once I will, I will feel like I was kind of successful in the Azarat Nashim. There are more ladies coming on Saturday morning for the tefilot, like Sephardic ladies and everything, because the Torah starts with the mother. So this is why, of course, the youth important, but everything comes from the mother. So even the Jewish school, like we're trying to trying to give today, uh, where one I I see that one of my students, Vedat TV Alev, is there. Uh, I know him well. Uh, so in the Jewish school, we're trying to, I mean, on on his time was less, but trying to more and more to put in curriculum as a Jewish studies. But even that we put Jewish studies in the school today, there are more. That's more than that in used to, uh, but we need sport. The main sport is from the home, because whatever story, whatever I'm going to trying to give Jewish identity, the, the product of Judaism, once he's going to home or she's going home, if she doesn't have a sport from his family, from from the mother, so whatever I teach is like it's not worthless, but it's in there. So this is why the mother, the ladies. This is why on Saturday morning in Seuda time, I trying to motivate some of our ladies. They should give the Vretora. They should talk about the Perashat Shavua. So in the Seuda, 
they should talk about you know more wisdom and everything once they see the model ladies and giving more and more talk about basically about the judaism i think this is that our future thank you does anyone else have any questions feel free to to unmute yes vedat is there uh you mentioned the booklets by uh ribera saban yes the, but is there any reason why it wasn't implemented or was it implemented in turkey at all like the solution or was it just a suggestion it was it's not suggesting it was basically like uh, uh that's you know that was the decision but today today not everyone accepts that decision today not not everyone accept that decision uh, as you know in israel also in everywhere the conversion the non-jewish mother and so on uh, is is a problematic not everybody accepted but i just want to bring that idea how the sefaradim the rabbis uh, because it's easy to fight to say forbidden of course you have to find solution with the halachic way but how the sefaradim work so hard to find a way for their own Jewish community. This is why this implication is not so easy today. But uh, uh, I'm telling everyone is has to accept that, you know, I mean, entire world. Today, there's a problem everywhere about that issue. So, but important that, that those issues that should come, uh, what uh, Arab thought said on this time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, can you give us a phrase? Basically, uh, the if you go to uh, I've been in 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 United States many synagogues like Moroccans, uh, Iranian, Halevi, and most of the Turkish Nusakh is very very close to. Halep. So anyone that from it goes to Sephardic synagogue to Suri into Halebi synagogue, if you come to Turkey, Roshana Kippur Shabbat, it's it's his home. You know, very much it's very close by Halep and basically uh, the Sephardic uh, this Turkish uh, synagogue uh, Turkish melody is very familiar. There is a one common came here. One second, I can say there is a has the recording. Uh, where is the recording? Uh, with that? Ah, okay, somebody sent in a, in the in the message, basically the recording. Thank you very much with that. About the Nusach, uh, about the Sorry. Uh, it's Hazan Yosef Pichim from the Jada Boss. Okay, okay. Thank you. So there is a there is a Nusach. Thank you very much with that. So you know you can you know somebody share about the Nusach, but the melodies and the Nusach is very familiar about the Sephardic synagogue. About Halibik Synagogue. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll share the link on the on the WhatsApp group. I'm sorry for my English. I try my best to write. You know. See it afterwards. I hope you enjoy it. Not at all. Fantastic. Fantastic. Very clear. Thank you. Um, so anybody comes to anybody who wants it. to come to Turkey is a visit. You know, you can find my name. You know, so more than welcome.
Okay. Um, one one really last question that occurred to me. Um, you mentioned a few of you know these works of of the of the rabbis. One of the things we do at the Chabura, we try to republish or uh, reproduce works that have either out of print or um, have been lost. And we were just I, I don't know if you have anything at hand. But I don't want to put you on the spot, but like if there's any specific um, you know I don't know if it's a book of Teshuvot or, or any book sefer that we could uh, work on maybe as a project. Uh, maybe Vedat can do it. <laughs> First of all, Rabbi Chaim Palachi booklets is like today, because it was a, it was a handwriting, everything. Most of them today is like in modern Hebrew. Okay. If there is like translating thing, because unfortunately, this is the most, the most missing part in the Sephardic world. There is a handwriting. Of course, it's translating to modern Hebrew that people can able to read in Hebrew, such as Rabbi Chaim Palachi or other books. But unfortunately, it's not been translated to English. Today, the young generation, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of my, my young sister, my colleagues, they, they do the Torah. Of course, I'm not, you know, it's very important, rabbis, but in the way they the Torah, since there's English in hand, they mention Arab Salavich, Arab Moshe Feinstein, because it's in English. Most of them, there are a lot of things going on in English, all the booklets. So the missing part, most of the our Sephardic rabbis, even in Hebrew, I think that's needed to be translated to English because not everyone knows Hebrew and those kind of books is not easy to understand. I think this is why Rabbi Chaim Palachi books, I think is important to translate maybe it's some of them to English. I think it's very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is something we're trying to do and um thank you so so much um it is late and we we hope to have you again maybe we can go through some of the torah from turkia um and you know obviously a lot more to learn and hopefully if anyone wants to go visit we can put you in touch and uh, wish you much in the community um and please god we'll we'll have you again and we'll, we'll be in touch Thank, Thank you, you very much. so much. Uh, and, and yourself, I think it's Avi. There is a new book, uh, I think it only came out last year um, from Israel. So it is in Hebrew, um, and it's essentially the shot on, 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 on the parasha, but it's, of course, Palachi and uh, Yavetz, uh, many of them, and uh, Yerushalmi, uh, uh, uh so so that that is a resource that is there um Armando Atukia by uh Arav uh Shimon Vanunu. Uh I know say the last thing I didn't understand the internet was not the the name of the author is Harav Shimon Vanunu. No, I didn't and, hear, I didn't hear it. I, I'll write it in the in the chat. Thank you very much. Yeah. And one other thing that the last rabbi I say I mentioned about Mishpatim Ariel Kharibi Rafael Saban, his book, his book, there's a one book that he said he wrote, Midrash La Perushim, which is a very interesting book. Uh, it's about talks about Tanakh and Rashi interpretation. So he talk about Rashi, like how come Rashi talk about you know to come to his mind something like that. Midrash La Perushim. So this is also his interesting book. But as I mentioned, I think a lot of things that we can learn from his booklets.
Yeah, someone's put there. Can we have a Chabrash with more detail on the writings of Rav Palachi? Please, God. Please, God. There's a lot to do. Uh, and Maor, maybe we can get in touch and we can share the book to other people. Um, absolutely fascinating. Um, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll copy and paste that. But thank you so much. Um, I wish you all have a, a fantastic day and uh, or great night. And we, we look forward to seeing you next week, Monday. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.